Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another segment of what it means to be a Christian. Last time we were together, we had made it all the way through the fourth chapter of Ephesians to the 17th verse. And, uh, boy, what riches there is in this epistle, isn't there? The uh, opportunity to look into the Word of God and to glean from it, knowing that when we sincerely come to the Word of God, desiring that the Lord would speak to us, in sincerity and truth we come to Him, knowing that this is the Word of God. Boy, He blesses us with this truth. You know, this ministry of, of mine that I've, I've had for quite some time now, Foundation of Life, is based on 1 Corinthians 3.11. And there is no other foundation that can be laid than that which is already laid, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the foundation. If we are solid on Christ, solid in His Word, standing upon Him and Him alone, then our Christian life will have the solid foundation uh, that will stand the uh, the storms of life, uh, anything that's thrown to it. Jesus said it best where, you know, if you don't hear the words of his, uh, your house is built on the sand, and when, not if, but when, the problems and the, the uh, uh, just the problems of life come, and the storms of life come, they will beat that house down because it was not, founded upon the rock, but yet if one who is a wise builder builds his house on the rock, when the storms of life come, no matter what they are, uh, nothing will be able to top it over because it's not only built on a foundation, but it's been built on the rock himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we're looking at here. We're so It's so exciting to go through the Word, to see these things. Um, how does God think about me? You know, I remember my mentor, Dave Hunt, used to always say that, you know, instead of having a philosophy and, and, and real, you know, taking into account all people's different ideas about God, what does God say about us? That's what we want to know. That's what we want to understand. Because the Bible is God's revelation to man, and especially to us, especially those who believe on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are new creations in Christ. The old things have passed and all things have become new. And uh, wow, how exciting. Today I want to just again continue in this wonderful epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, I want to take off where we left off last time. Um, chapter 4, I want to start at verse 17. And I want to just read the, the whole rest of this chapter. And then we'll get into the riches and just have some great fellowship in the Word of God. I'm hoping that some of these truths might, uh, if, if you do know them already, might renew your excitement, renew your, uh, your strength, and establish you more in the Word. And if they have been new to you, that you would check it out. That you would not only hear from me and, and, and in the Word today, but check me out by the Word of God. Remember... Always check everything that you hear, whether it's from myself or whether it's from any anybody. Always check it out by the Word of God. Remember uh, in Acts chapter 17. In fact, I'll just turn there real quick. It's it's a it's a profound verse. Uh, it's actually uh, verse 11 in uh, chapter 17 of Acts, where what had happened as Paul was. Uh, was with Silas, and they were in Thessalonica, and, and a riot broke out. And they sent Paul out of there because of the riot, and he went down to a place called uh, Berea, and they sent him down by night. And when he arrived, the Scripture said that he went into the synagogue of the Jews, uh, as his custom was to reason from them through the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ and so forth. But listen to this. So then Paul immediately or excuse me, and the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. And here's what here's the verse I want to get at. Verse 11. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, 
and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. You know, Paul was no flattery person. But here Paul commends the Bereans because they did just what every good teacher of the word of God will insist on, that you check him out. That everything you hear regarding the word of God, regarding a person of God, regarding our salvation, regarding the prophets, regarding the end times, all these things must be checked out against the word of God to see whether these things are so. And as we stated in the past, that is the precedent of the Word of God. We look at the prophets, uh, you know, were that way. They foretold the Word of God, where they gave direct messages to God, and people checked them out by not only their fulfillment, which is for our benefit, but that people grew thereby, knowing that a true prophet versus a false prophet Then you move on in the New Testament. Jesus did the same things. Did I not tell you when I was still with you? He was always saying that. And I tell you these things, he said, so when it comes to pass, you will believe that I am he. Then we move on to the apostles uh, themselves and, and the New Testament letters and so forth. Take, for example, the two walking to Emmaus after Jesus had, had rose from the dead. Remember, he appeared to them and, and uh and talked with them and reasoned with them from the scriptures, opened their mind. And when, when he broke the bread, he was, he was gone from the presence and they marveled. Then you can go and, and where just a little while later in Luke 24, where Jesus appeared again to the upper room and they were frightened. You know, they were frightened. This was a phenomenon that their five sentences, five senses, excuse me, could not register. He suddenly appeared in this locked room which they were in, and he said, Peace be with you. And they were frightened, thinking that they had seen a ghost. What does he do? He said, Flesh and bone. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see that I have. And from there, through the prophets, the Psalms, and the law, he opened up the whole word of God and explained to them it was all about him. And so we see a precedent that uh, the scriptures, are when they're taught and they're expounded, and we go back and we search the word of God and we see these things are so, that's how God solidifies truth in our life. And that's what we've been trying to do as we've gone through the Bible in, in past studies and through the years. But I won't say more so, but the emphasis is so great on that principle as we study and we're going through the book of Ephesians, this epistle that Paul wrote, that the six chapters are so eloquently, as we said before, divided. The first three of our wonderful position and wealth in Jesus Christ, which, by the way, we didn't earn. We couldn't. We don't deserve. It is of grace that we've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Remember, back in chapter two, we see our position. We see our eternal our eternal riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And yet, and then we get on to this fourth, fifth, and sixth chapter, and we see the way that we should walk in this position. By the way, brethren, when we walk in this position, God never expects us to navigate through this life on our own. We are living moment by moment through His power, through His indwelling. As we will see in this chapter as we go on, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We see that two places, one in chap, uh, once in chapter 1 and again in chapter 4. We'll talk about that a little bit when we get there. Sealing means ownership. Uh, and, and I am safely in the ownership of my loving God. So as I seek to please Him and to walk in this newness of life, um, He does so by the power of the Holy Spirit, by Him living His life in me. Remember, as we go on in these studies, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, you know, some people say that this is the, the cap, if you will, the Magna Carta cap of the Christian life. But listen to this, remember? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I'll go on. That's that's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I'll read 21. It goes on to say, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain, or he died needlessly. I want to read you another passage that goes right along with this, and then we'll get into our study today, brethren. I love this this verse. Uh, We look at if Paul the Apostle penned this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, we look at this aspect of the Christian life. How do we live it? Do we have to try to just live it on our own strength and hope that every day we have just enough strength like we did the day before? No. We draw on the unfathomable wealth and power that we have in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Look what Paul says. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Being confident. (laughs) So we want to do, brethren. We want to breed confidence. That's what happens when you lay the foundation of God's word and you know him. He says, being confident of this very thing that he, God, who began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is confidence. That's the Christian life. We have these unfathomable riches. It's not like God is saying, okay, I've given you all these great and wonderful promises and all these this this wealth of, of being saved, being forgiven of your sin, having eternal inheritance, and on and on. And he doesn't say, so now, then you go and you do with it. And you do the best you can. No. There are so many things in the Word of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 6 that we've been crucified. Our old man has been crucified. In fact, let's just jaunt over there real quick. That's what I love about these studies, brethren. We're not held to a... a not so much of a timeline. We're definitely held to a strictness of an outline. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6 real quick. He starts out in chapter 6. says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because remember, we've been saved by grace. That's what we've been looking at the first three chapters of Ephesians. So he's saying, what shall we, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He says we've died with Christ. How, how, and we're going to see that this, this dying with Christ uh, and the new life renders that old life inoperative. It's still there. The old nature is still there. We see that in First John and elsewhere so eloquently, and God has provided provision for that as well. But he goes on to say in verse 3, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Let's go down to verse 6. It said, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. That's actually uh, a term that, that means basically rendered inoperative. It says, oh, the sin that had so much power over us that held us captive and we were dead in sin and that's all we could do. Now because of the new life in Christ in us, we're new creations, that, that sin, the power of sin has been rendered inoperative. It, in other words, it doesn't have any control over us. If we sin, we choose to sin, but we don't have to because of the power that we have in us. Wow. This life, this Christian life, you know, it's it's rightly dividing the word of truth, Paul said to Timothy, which not only uh, is, is encompasses all of prophecy, all of uh, history of the Bible, all of the patriarchs, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms. We come into, the, you know, the, the fulfillment of it all, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the New Covenant, the Epistles, um, we talk about the end times and what, what does the Bible say is going to happen in the end times and so forth. And yet, encompassed between cover to cover is that glorious Christian life that God has imparted to us. We have the privilege and the honor of shining forth in the world. 
You know, I have a wonderful uh, one. One of my, in fact, I've I've made it one of my life texts, and I hope you I hope you enjoy this. It's in, it's in the Psalms. It's, it's the sixtieth Psalm. Let me just read that to you. The sixtieth Psalm, verse four, says, "You have given a banner to those who fear you, that it may be displayed because of the truth." Now, in the context of this psalm, that was a victory, a military victory that that uh, that they were talking about. It was a psalm of David, and yet if you read the psalm, he's talking about deliver us, you know, uh, save us with your right hand and hear me, and God has spoken in his holiness. God will protect them. For David says, for the help of man is useless, and so on and so forth. So in a context of David, he was speaking uh, also as a military campaign, as a military banner that was waving victory uh, of those who had victory in the God of Israel. And yet, brethren, uh, as C.I. Schofield so eloquently said about the Psalms, they were primarily Jewish in the promises, but yet they are spiritually true for the Christian as well. We have been given a banner to those who fear God, and then we can display it because of the truth. We could be a living epistles or living letters of, of Christ as we go out in the world with whoever we, our kindness, our generosity, our, our explaining the word of God. You know, one of the great avenues that we have of doing that, and you know, a lot of people through the years have, you know, come to me and said, you know, Wow, you know, I just really am not a street preacher or I have a hard time talking to people or I have, you know, a hard time this and that. But when you display that banner because of the truth, you don't drop it. You let it, everybody see it, know who you are, and the brightness of Jesus Christ in you. We can witness and witness with power. Here's what Peter said, First Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Everybody asks you. You know, you engage in conversation with people, and one of the things that invariably comes around is this world's in a mess. This world's in a mess. Uh, the, the morality has gone in the toilet. The the uh, ethics have gone in the toilet. Violence is escalating. It's it's so hard to keep a handle on our kids, a handle on our finances, a handle. You know, the truth has has truths a fading commodity. And we could go on and on about this gamut of life. Just turn on the news. If you get any meaningful conversation with anything, brethren, one of those things will come up. Give them a reason. For the hope that lies within you. And I'll tell you, that's what building the foundation on the Lord Jesus Christ will do in your Christian life. Give you solidness, confidence, so that we would look for that coming of the Lord. We anticipate him coming back. We anticipate him loving individuals through us. So with that introduction, I I didn't mean to go in that direction, but I really feel that's important. Um... Can we be certain? Yes. Can we know? Yes. You know, we can prove that Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior. We can prove that the Bible is God's Word. People say, well, isn't that, then what about faith then? Well, faith is proof. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Oh, I hope I'm saved. I hope that, you know, this and that. No, faith is based on the Word of God. Remember our text, and we can go through many of them. And I, I want you to remember this, brethren, as as we just freely talk about those things that are so freely given to us in the Word of God. Did you know that? Did you know that we can open up the Word and read all these fantastic uh, announcements from God to us, and they are ours They are ours because Jesus Christ bought us with his own blood. And he rose from the dead three days later as proof not only that those who put their faith in him, their sins are gone, but that he is the 
sacrifice, the only sacrifice that can save from sin and please the Father with whom we must give an account. So the Bible for us is a knowing. And I want you to, to remember this verse. It's in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things, talking about these things that were written, I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know, brethren. Well, you know, there's so many people that I've talked to through the years that that aren't too sure, you know. They're not, you know, you talk to Calvinists, some that are on their deathbed, they they sure hope they're one of the elect. And, uh, you know, you talk to, you know, so many people. They don't have the confidence, and they're afraid. Brethren, when we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we get into his word and let his word get into us, we start, we start building on that foundation. And we know. And the more we know, the more we love him. Remember that story? Oh, my gosh. I, that, it, you know, that is one of the greatest uh, parables I want to share with you that has really shown me uh, not only the love of Jesus Christ, but how much, how much he loves us. You know, he, um, he went into a Pharisee's house uh, one day and, and, uh, you know, they, they invited him first. He invited Jesus. And, uh, anyway, this, this parable is in Luke chapter seven. And I don't want to take a lot of time in going this through this, but I just want to share this with you. Because, again, we just have the freedom to do this on this program. And uh, anyway, this Pharisee has invited Jesus, okay, to his house to eat. So Jesus came in and he, and he sat down to eat. And the woman uh, of, of the city who was a sinner, we, we would kind of understand she was maybe a prostitute, she came in, she found out that Jesus was in the Pharisee's home, came in, and she stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil that she also brought in. And as this was happening, the Pharisee who invited him saw this, and he spoke within himself, Yeah, you know what, if this man were a prophet... Speaking about Jesus, he would know who, who and what manner of woman this is that's touching him. She's a sinner. This is what I want you to get from this parable again in Luke chapter 7. You know, Jesus said, Simon, so we know that, that it's not a parable. We know it's an actual story because the, he named the Pharisee Simon. Simon, I have something to say to you. And I could just see the smugness in Simon going, oh, wow, he's talking to me. Teacher, say it. Jesus goes on to explain that there were two creditors. There was a certain creditor, excuse me, he had two debtors. One owed him only 500 denarii and another 50. That would be equivalent like somebody owns somebody 2 million today versus maybe 500 or something. Anyway, there's a vast difference. Neither one of them could pay. But he freely forgave them both. And Jesus said, Simon, tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon, again, being pug, I'm sure, said, well, I suppose the one who forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. And then Jesus turned to this woman. He said, you see this woman? He says to Simon, I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, which was custom in the day. But she's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of your head. You gave me no kiss which was the custom of the day, a kiss of greeting. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet ever since I came in. His feet. Jesus didn't kiss his head or his arms, but his feet. She came before him humbly and fell down before him. This is the Lord. And he said, and then he goes on to say, he didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Then he says something amazing to Simon. Jesus said, you know what? I know who she is. I know her many sins. But you know what? She loved much. But to whom little is forgiven is the same one that loves little. 
You know, the more we love the Lord Jesus Christ and the more we learn of his word, the more we learn of the great, vast riches we have and the complete forgiveness of sins, we are forgiven, brethren. We will stand before the Lord and we will have been forgiven. We will come before him as our savior and not our judge. I've been forgiven of the guilt of my sin completely past present and future anything other than that of the, you know when i stub my toe so to speak is dealt with a family matter when there's a judge that, that reigns over a municipal court or whatever he exercises his being a judge he goes home and he to his sons and his daughters and he hugs them and if, if they have sinned or done bad during the day, he doesn't stand before them as the same judge he was in municipal court. No, he stands before them as a loving father and deals with it that way. One who is cognizant, who knows the depth of forgiveness of sin, that's the one that loves the most. That is an amazing aspect of our God. Wow. All right, back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. This I say, therefore, in testifying the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Verse 20, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22, That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed, verse 23, in the spirit of your mind. That you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Those are some of the most marvelous penned words on the life of one who knows God and walks with him. You know, I love the fact I was just reading this morning uh, over that great chapter uh, in Hebrews chapter 11. You know, some people call it the hall of, of you know, faith or, um, you know, whatever. But it, we, we, I read about um, Enoch, you know. Uh, it, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away, so they did not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Said for before he was taken, he had this testimony, brethren, that he pleased God. What can you imagine when the Lord comes back for his own and the rapture to catch his saints away that we are doing that which pleases him? That we are are going about our father's business, ever learning what pleases him versus what John says in First John chapter two that we, uh, you know, would would be abiding apart from Him and doing our own thing, and we'd be ashamed before Him at His coming. And uh, again, brethren, we're just talking about that. Remember that story that the one who is realizes he's been forgiven much will love much. 
And back in back in Ephesians four seventeen, this I say, brother, therefore, and testify in the Lord, they should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. You know, Peter talks about that. Let me just flip over real quick uh, to First Peter chapter four. He starts out this way, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For you have suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. When you were when you were before Christ, sin was our lifestyle. Greediness, wickedness, uh, idolatry, um, sexual immorality, you know, fornication with, with adultery. I mean, it was just a way of life. You know, we navigated through this evil world system. We were part of the course of this world. But when Christ came in and made us a new creature, and by the way, he know he doesn't make over the old man. He creates the new man. Christ does not do a makeover on our marred self. We are considered dead with Christ and alive with him when he rose from the dead. We put our faith in him, and we are a new creature. But listen to what, what Peter says in First Peter chapter 4, verse 2. He said that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough, verse 3, of our past time in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, rivalries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dispensation, speaking evil of you. You know, that's the people that knew you before. They say, hey, what, what happened? How come you don't walk this way? And they will make fun of you. But listen to this, brethren. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You've had a, we've had so much of our time to live our way, to live what we want to do. I want it my way. I want to be the captain of my life. I want to make a, a row in this world in my way and in my strength, all the while ignoring the love of God. So it says, testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as Gentiles walk. Look at it, the last part of that verse. In the futility of their mind. It's futile. Let's go on. Having their understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. Being alienated from the life of God. Wow. That is amazing. You know, there's all kinds of religious people out there. There's all kinds of, uh, you know, people that say, yeah, well, we're, you know, I know God or, uh, you know, whatever. But let me tell you something. There is a life that we were born with that we are alienated from God. We are separated from him. You know, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians. Just just listen to these things, brethren. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, talking about Satan, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God, glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Listen to this. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it's the same God that said, boom, let there be light, and there was light. The same God who, who spoke and the universe leapt into existence is the same God who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So back in verse 18 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work on cleanness with greediness. Wow. 
Let's keep our finger there and flip right on over to verse 32. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, even as Christ forgave you. Look at, go up a few verses, verse 28. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather labor, work with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. That is diametrically opposed to the people that have their understanding darkened, that they're alienated from this life of God. They don't walk that way. Remember back in verse 19, this is the way they walk. The past feeling. They've given themselves over to lewdness or, or lasciviousness in the King James to work all in cleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, the truth is in Jesus. Why I read statements like that, and I remember what the Lord said in John fourteen six: I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes unto the Father but by me. In verse 22, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You know, renew in the spirit of your mind. Let's talk about that for a little while. That is important. You know, the mind is such a battlefield. You know, I love uh, one of the, my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 16. Not only talking about the absolute control that God has of every situation, But, you know, if you will, turn back to Proverbs 16 real quick with me. I love that. You know, look at at verse 1. The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Look at verse 9. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Wow. Look at verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's our decision from the Lord. The Lord has everything under control. But look at that verse up, verse 32. In Proverbs 16, it says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Look at this last part. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Rules his spirit. Wow. We want to rule our spirit. We want to rule that which is is at our disposal now to rule. We can rule our spirit. In that verse, in Proverbs 16, it also it has another twist on that, that same concept right over in Proverbs 25. He said, whoever has no rule over spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. Wow. So I'll talk about that in a bit. Let's get back into Ephesians 4.23. I am so excited about these truths. And it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Paul says, the same author, over in Romans 12, 2, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we're to rule our spirit. You know, our, our brain is, is, is the computer, so to speak. Uh, it's what, what gives us uh, animation. It's what controls our movement in our body. Uh, but our thoughts do not originate in our brain. Our brain's that little three or four pounds of gray matter within our head that acts as a computer, and there's there's millions of trillions of neutrons in there that that shoot out the messages and and work the work the body. It is is absolutely magnificent. But the real you, that's who controls the thoughts. That's who the thoughts are immaterial. You are soul and spirit. And your thoughts are spirit. Your thoughts are immaterial. Otherwise, we'd go around as Dave Hunt always says, what am I going to do today? What's my brain going to do today? No, our thoughts are the ones that that are to be transformed. We're to to narrow our thoughts and our thinking and and our whole life to the Word of God. We're to conform our spirit, our thought life, our actions, our drive, our reasoning at the Word of God and in the Word of God, to be transformed and renewing our mind. And brethren, we do that 
and have the capability of start learning to do that the moment we are born again. Our spirit is 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 likened with his spirit. It's awakened. It's quickened. And the Bible says his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We are to rule our spirit. We are to have direct access at all times to God and what he thinks and what he wants and have the joyous fellowship. Let me show you something real quick, brethren, before we move on. I know time's getting away from me again. But I have such a wonderful time, and there's so much to glean from the Word of God. But have you ever noticed when you read 1 John, and we have the first uh, three or four verses, um, these are written to one whose spirit has been quickened, one whose conscience has been made alive towards God, and who... It directs your spirit. Listen to this closely. You may not have noticed this before. John in First John starts out by saying, That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Listen to this. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he ends in verse 4, he says, And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Now, yeah, they lived with him. They ate with him. They could touch him. They could see him. They saw him raise the dead. They saw him do things only God can do. But this is an eternal document, brethren. This is written for us down through the ages. And he says, you know, verse 3, that he's declared it to us. That not only are their fellowship with the Father and with the Son, our fellowship would be with the Father and with the Son. Have you ever seen the Son? No. Have you ever seen the Father? No. And yet we have fellowship with him. We know him because we've been quickened. We've been made alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he, he, no wonder he says, in these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Be transformed, brethren, by the renewing of your mind. The, the word of God is so wonderful. I remember a story that I have in one of my books I've, I've told often through uh, my years of ministry. I, and it truly happened to me, but this story came to me, and I, and I wrote it in such a way that I think that uh, some people I know might have been blessed by it. Maybe you will be too, but uh, basically it, it, uh, it boils down to there was a, a man one day um, who, was, who was sitting in his house, and a friend came by and, and dropped off a Bible to him. And, and, uh, you know, the man was polite and said, thank you, whatever. But he just basically stuck the Bible under his coffee table, so to speak, and went away. And, and that was that. And from time to time, the friend that, that gave the, the, uh, the book to the man would say, hey, have you read it? Have you, you know, you know, have you been reading it at all? And so the, the, the friend would say, well, you know, I, I just can't get into it. You know, it's, it's basically I don't understand it. You know, who can understand? I can't get into it and so on and so forth. One day the giver of the book came to him and asked him if he would like to meet the author of the book. The friend did, and it was changed forever. And that dusty old book underneath his copy table became the dearest one he owned. The author was met, the life was changed, and that book became the dearest one he owned. That's what happens, brethren, when God changes you, reveals himself to you. The Bible um, is the most treasured possession we own. And uh, and I love it. And, you know, it's no, no wonder the King James, the translators of the King James, uh, has stated that is the, the inestimable treasure of all the earth. And... Uh, is that amazing? The word of God is that inestimable treasure that excels all the riches of the earth. 
They got it right. So verse 23, again, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. That you, verse 24, you put on the new man, which was created. Get, get that? The new man. I used to, my pastor would say it's like changing clothes. Take off, put off that, take off those old raggy, rusted, smelly, dead, putrid clothes and put on the richness, a new man of Christ. Put on those new clothes. Because look at verse 24 real quick, brethren, that you put on the new man, which was what? Created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Do not be angry, verse 26. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath or your anger, nor give place to the devil. You know, one of the areas that uh, Satan works in is anger. And... Anger is very, very uh, much talked about in the Bible. And the anger that people uh, put on, and which causes all kinds of havoc, does not only doesn't produce the righteousness of God, but it is actually contrary to walking a joyous life. Uh, we are admonished in the, in the Proverbs not to associate with an angry person, lest you learn his ways and get a snare for your soul. Um, you know, we, we know that in the end times, uh, when Satan is thrown out of, of heaven, he finally cast down to earth. We read in chapter 12 of Revelation, listen to this, uh, verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. You know, anger, wrath. Uh, we'll get into, when we get into the sixth chapter and, and talking about putting on the armor of God and, and the spiritual warfare that we're in, brethren, we'll look in two avenues that Satan uses greatly in the Christian life to to discredit it, to make it ineffective, and so forth. One is anger, and the other is unforgiveness. Um, and we'll, we'll get to that as these studies go on. So he says that in verse 25, to speak truth, they wonder his neighbor. Verse 26, to be angry do not, and do not let the sun go down in your wrath. Don't go to bed, brethren, angry at your wife. Don't go to bed with that dispute with your parents, uh, angry. Don't go to bed with disputes and anger towards your children. You make sure because you don't know what's going to be on the morrow. In other words, you don't know what tomorrow is going to be like. We have no room for undue anger and wrath. That's God's place. Judgment, wrath, and anger, and and, and is all. Uh, he's going to take care of everything. Everything will come uh, with justice in the end. But I'm speaking to those that are married. Please don't don't let that uh, don't let that happen. Don't let the sun go down uh, on your wrath. And for those out there, there's some commentators that mean the sun going down on your life. That also could be. But I think this is more in the media context of ending the day. But look at verse 27, it says, nor give place to the devil. Practicality, look at verse 28, let him steal, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is need. Wow, is that the opposite of covetousness? When you elevate somebody's needs above your own. Wow, we don't love in word only, we love in deed. Verse 29, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I want to build up. You know, (laughs) we have the answer. We have the hope that lies within us. The answer is Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have eternal life. We have an inheritance. We have our God that loves us beyond measure. We want to speak so that others might know him. You know, it's, it, I've known Christians through the years that have gone around with 
being angry, uh, you know, jealous, uh, depressed. Uh, you know, the depression and the anger and everything is, is, I believe, one of the avenues why psychology has come into the church like it has. Psychology? Are you kidding me? I was speaking one morning, and, and a, a gentleman had walked into into our church, and uh, I just happened to be speaking on Second Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy that God has given us love and, and of a sound mind. And uh, I was speaking on the fact that, you know, there's the psych- psychology has come into the church and and is really creating havoc, you know. And they, and they got the godless psychology from outside, from Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, and other godless men who have imparted the psychology of the world, and this church is buying it. But we've been given a sound mind. You know, it reminds me of what Peter writes in Second Peter, I think it's chapter 1, verse 3. It says, And his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who has called us by his glory and virtue. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Wow. Speech, truth, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. Uh, but what is necessary for evocation that apart of grace to the hearers? Let me tell you, anything apart from God at all is not grace. You will not find grace out in the world. You will not find grace through hypocrisy. You will not find grace in false teaching. You will not find grace in any one of the 17 or 18, maybe even more, hundred religions out there. You will only find grace as is imparted to us through the vibrancy of the living Christ who lives in us. We start to see that this Christian life is, is, is so much more than what I'm, an, I'm sad to say we hear these days. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Wow. Now we see this, Paul saying this twice in this letter. Okay? Once in the first chapter and the second time here. Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 13, okay? We see here, and remember, in him you, were, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And he goes on to say, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. Wait a minute. He's what? He is a guarantee of of what? Of our inheritance. Until when? The redemption of the purchased possession. Brethren, you and I have been purchased by the blood of Christ And the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance and the guarantee of our redemption and a new body and to be with him forever. And it's what? To the praise of our works? No, it's to the praise of his glory. That's chapter 1 of Ephesians. That is our wealth and our riches. And now we come here in the fourth chapter, in the second division of this letter, and he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by doing what we've read before by the corruption and, and the lying and the anger and, and so on and so forth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God because you were sealed for the day of redemption. Wow. You were sealed. God seals us by the Holy Spirit. It's ownership it's security. It secures a relationship. Our Father loves us and He will correct us when we need it. That is grace. You know, we look at the Holy Spirit when we realize that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity or the triune Godhead. We realize there is one God manifest in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, and we don't have time to go through all the passages. We, we will in future studies, 
which there are just many, but I want to show you one that you might not heard before. How can we prove the Trinity? How can we look at, was the Trinity in the Old Testament? Absolutely. You know, you see it from Genesis all the way through Revelation. But I just want to uh, share with you one passage that has always been near and dear to my heart. Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 16. This is God speaking. It's not the prophet. It's not Isaiah. It's God speaking. Chapter 48, verse 16 of Isaiah says, Come near to me and hear this. I have not spoken a secret from the beginning. From the time that it was, I was there. And now the Lord God and his spirit have sent me. We have the Father, we have the Son, and we have the Spirit. And we can also, if, if you want to, if you want to have bookends, so to speak, to reference uh, when somebody asks the hope for the reason that lies within you, you can also, in the New Testament, you can also go to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and the last verse, verse 14. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the love of God. We have the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we can prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is how our God reveals himself. So you see how important it is to realize that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by God himself. We are sealed not only in the day of redemption, but we are sealed unto him. The security we have, the wonderment we have. In Christ is amazing. The Holy Spirit. We can grieve him as as in this uh, passage we grieve him. It's possible to grieve him. How do we grieve him? By living in a way that is not who we are. By allowing sin to come into our life. (laughs) You know, you think about it. You know, it, 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 it breaks the heart of parents to know that their children have engaged in, in activities shouldn't or have chose to walk in a way they shouldn't, and it grieves the parents. You know, it, it causes uh, grief to them, unfathomable grief. Those of you who have had kids um, and that have experienced some of that, you would know what it is to be grieved. It is, it just hurts. You know, and uh, it hurts the one who who loves us the most. I remember when uh, when I would get in trouble as a as a youngster. This only happened a few times because I I am very fortunate in the fact that I respected my father and I respected him and what he would say to me and what he would what he would do to me. But I remember. This lesson I learned from my dad, who was at that time by no means a Christian. But when I would do something, he would discipline me. He came in and he said he would explain to me why he was disciplining me before he enacted the punishment. And I know from him, brethren, that it grieved him a lot more to punish me than it hurt me. It hurt him more to punish me. Than it did me. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. It also says in the Word of God that we can quench the Spirit. In other words, by our actions, our anger and our indifference and our selfishness and so forth, we can quench the working of Him in our life. We could go and and be sent out by him and yet along the way uh, quench the power by getting invested in ourselves and not finding out what his desire is. We can grieve the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit. These are only attributes that we can do to a person such as the Holy Spirit. He is a person just as the Son and the Father. 
So he says in verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Wait a minute. What a list. Bitterness. Wow. We've all had something that we've tasted, and whoa, it just curls up our lips. It's bitter. Now it could be an attitude of bitterness. Wrath, we see wrath coupled with anger here. Anger, there could be a righteous anger. Jesus was angry when he walked into the temple, didn't he? And he, and he turned over the money, uh, the changers, and, and everything like that. He was angry that they were turning the temple of the living God into a place of merchandise. But he also puts in wrath. Wrath is is um, you're boiling, you're you're just boiling over with anger in the tent to uh, to carry that anger out. What way or the other, you know, evil speaking. And I love the way he ends this by saying, "Put away from you all malice." You know what malice is, my friends? It's intent to do harm. Malice, whether it's mental, whether it's physical, uh, you know, you just want to get at somebody. That's malice, and that has no place for a Christian. We've been forgiven, as we see in this in this uh, next and last verse of this chapter. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you, brethren. That is the precedent. How in the world can I have bitterness? How in the world can I? have malice and wrath and anger against somebody when God in Christ has forgiven me. God has not forgiven me on, on I was good more times than I was bad. God has not forgiven me because I'm generally a nice guy. No, God has forgiven me in Christ, in Jesus Christ. The punishment for my sin was heaped upon Christ, and he died on the cross as payment for the justice demands of God's holy law. God's holiness demanded justice for the sin, and Christ paid it for me. God forgave me in Christ. Should we not forgive one another? Malice against one another? Are you kidding me? As we get into chapter 5 next time we get together, we're going to see how, I love how Paul starts it out. Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for sweet a sweet-smelling aroma. That's the first two verses of chapter 5. I can't wait to get into that. Whoa. God has not refashioned us. God has not remade us. God has made us brand new. You know, I wanna I wanna end this with just two two scriptures that we all know very well. And it's it's an amazing insight into how Christ was the embodiment of not only truth. But as John said in John 1.17, you know, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You remember when, in John chapter 3, when Nicodemus, who was a religious ruler, came to Jesus by night. And, uh, you know, he was saying, you know, he came to him and he said, Rabbi, I know you're a teacher. I know you come from God. No one can do the things that you do unless God is with him, blah, 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 blah. Jesus cut right to the core in John chapter 3, verse 3, said, Most assuredly say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Man in his own natural state cannot see the kingdom of God. There is a separation that cannot be crossed. Because of sin. And Jesus said, you must be born again. You must be born from above. Nicodemus still didn't understand these truths and said, hey, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? But Jesus, in verse 5, said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
That which is born of the Spirit of Spirit. Brethren, before Jesus Christ, you were born of the flesh, you're going to die in the flesh, an eternal death. But now that Christ has come and he is your Lord and Savior, you're born of the Spirit, you're going to live in the Spirit forever. Look at verse 7. He says, Do not marvel that it said to you, you must be born again. Wow. We see this. Christ expounded on it. The epistles explain it. We've been given new life in Christ. We're a new creation. The old things have passed away. That's the last. That's the this last verse that I want to talk about. After we see our our uh, our Lord talking to Nicodemus at night, talk to you a passage that again we all know, and it's a beloved passage. That's Second Corinthians chapter five. I'll start out verse fifteen. He says, "And he died for all, Christ, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again." Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, now we know him thus no longer. Listen to this, brethren. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, some things, no, all things have become new. And this is why. Down in verse 21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Two people, brethren, those that are in Adam or those that are in the old Adamic nature, or those that are in Christ, that have been born from above, that are his possession, that are filled with the Spirit, that have had the promises laid on their lap because Christ suffered accumulatively more than any man ever has. He went through a brutal execution. But yet, more importantly and more stinging, if you will, when we understand it, Christ suffered separation on the cross. He experienced spiritual separation and death for every man. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? At that moment, Christ became sin for you and I. And the Father had to turn his head away from his sin-bearing Son, and he struck Christ on the cross. And Christ suffered that separation from the Father for a moment of time so that you and I, brethren, would not have to suffer that separation eternally. Hence the name of our series, What It Means to Be a Christian. I thank you for sharing this time with me today. What a marvelous uh, occasion that we have and a, a great opportunity and what a privilege it is to get into the Word of God. And I just pray that till next time that the Lord would keep you, that you would keep growing in his word, stay in his word, get absorbed in his word, let it get absorbed and come into you. Walk with your God and you realize that, as the old hymn says, the things of this world go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. God bless you, brethren. I'll see you next time.